Hey there, Desi Crime fans. I'm your host Aryan, and I'm Ishwara. And welcome back to another episode of the Desi Crime podcast. This podcast is run by two twenty-year-olds from research to recording to post-production and even social media. If you have the means, please contribute to our Patreon. And if you don't, please share our episodes and posts on your social media. Be a loyal Desi Crew member. Go to Patreon.com/DesiCrime. And in light of Patreon, we would like to thank all our new patrons for supporting our podcast. We would like to thank Salim, Noor, Ishita, YYTJ, Shristi, Aniket, Erzi, Bhargavi, Bhavya, Tejal, Rihanna, among so many other. Thank you for all the support. Today's episode is another segment in our Thug Life series. but it is unlike any episode we have ever done before in fact it is unlike any episode any true crime podcast has ever done you've heard of ted bundy the times square killer john wayne gacy jack the ripper and on and on and on about a list of serial killers that haunt you in your dreams the story we have for you today will haunt you even when you're awake The serial killers we have for you today makes the Ted Bundys of the world look like petty criminals, like mere shoplifters. Because today's killer is the greatest, most hated, most terrifying serial killer in the history of mankind. You don't believe me? Well, the Guinness Book of World Record calls him the most prolific murderer in recorded history. This is the story of the man who killed 931 people with his handkerchief. This is the story of Thug Behram. Every time I research for one of these episodes Ashwarya I get a crash course in Indian history. The Thuggy is such an interesting cult. Sometimes I don't know where to even begin. But if you are a die-hard Desi crime listener, by this point you would be the smart guy or gal in your group of friends who knows all about the real Gabbar Singh, all about Daku Dilwale and this history associated with the Thuggy. Well, today not only are you going to learn more about the Thuggy and the ravenous and ruthless cult they belong to but you're also going to learn about the most ravenous thug of all the man who was called by his fellow thugs the king of thugs his name was thug behram aran you know we've talked about this a lot but i never ever would have guessed that thugs and their history would entertain the average podcast listener so much But then again I guess I had no clue how rich and convoluted and gruesome their history was. Every time you narrate one of these thug life episodes I have no idea what to expect. But by the end of the episode it's incredibly unsettling to realize how much I had no idea about such vast chunks of South Asian history despite being an Indian myself. It is funny you mentioned that Ashwarya while reading about this case and really piercing through pages upon pages of thuggies I found a passage written by Mark Twain. Mark Twain, the famous American writer, the man who wrote Adventures of Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn, which are household names at this point. 
And he wrote, and I quote, And we are gentle thugs in the hunting season and love to chase a tame rabbit and kill it. We have reached a little altitude where we may look down upon the Indian thugs with a complacent shudder. And we may even hope for a day, many centuries hence, when our posterity will look down upon us in the same way. End quote. Imagine the great American writer used to talk about the Indian thug. Mind you, he was American, not even a British colonizer, and still he was aware of the thuggy. Yet we as South Asians are not aware of this rich history. And let me be clear, I am not saying we should be proud that the most prolific serial killer belongs to India. <laughs> Aran, I can see you wink. I know, but we kind of can be proud about it. I don't know. I'm in a tough spot as a crime and investigative podcaster. Nevertheless, if everyone in America knows about Ted Bundy, everyone in India should know about Thug Behram. But it is good that listeners don't know about him because otherwise Ashwara and I would be out of a job. So, Aryan, who was Thug Behram? And more importantly, I guess, how did he kill 931 freaking people? As always, let your AirPods or headphones or earphones with dangling wires, if you still use those, no offense, serve as a time machine that dials back to the year 1765 to a small village in the Indian state of Madhya Pradesh near a town called Jabalpur. This is where our story starts. This is where a bubbly young lad by the name of Bhiram Jamedar was born. Now, Bhiram grew up in a rather poor family, but despite that, never had any inclinations towards stealing or crime. In fact, recollections of his childhood suggest that he was a chirpy and extroverted lad who had an introverted side to him, a classic omnivert as some say. He had the ability to easily befriend people while also frequently getting lost in his own thoughts. Hey, that sounds like you, Aryan. <laughs> yes, Eshwara, you've cracked the case. I am Thug Bhairam. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to this episode of the Desi Crime Podcast. I'm not going to lie, though. There are similarities. But thank God I was never introduced to Saeed Amir Ali. Bhairam's life completely changed when he met Amir, and it didn't take long for his innocence to transform into a maniacal mass murderer. So maybe I would have been a serial killer instead of a true crime podcaster had I met a crazy dude by the name of Amir. Alas, I did not. But what was it about Amir that changed the trajectory of a bubbly young toddler to a beastly feared teenager? Amir was part of a brotherhood called the Thuggy. In fact, Amir was decades older than Bhairam himself and there was a natural paternal relation Amir and Bhairam shared. So in essence, Amir was a thug. And so we enter yet again the infamous kingdom of thugs. Every time I do a thug life episode, I share with all of you a little history about the thug and the thuggy clan in general. But in all honesty, every time I do one of these episodes, I myself learn another piece of the thuggy puzzle. Just to give a little spoiler to all of you, Thuggies are responsible for the story about Mowgli and the blockbuster Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom and somehow also responsible for 2 million deaths over a 300-year time span. What? That is a mouthful of unrelated nonsense, but if you have been a listener for long enough, you know that at Desi Crime, everything is somehow or the other related. So let us unpack this story. Ishwara, I promise you, you are in for a roller coaster ride. I'm excited. So... Amir was a thug. The word thug derives from the Hindi term 
thug spelled t h a g which means thief which itself comes from the sanskrit sthadgati which means to conceal or hide the term thug eventually passed into common english during the time of british imperial rule of india and still denotes a brutality to this very day and we know it from gangsters in america being referred to as thugs and brutish men who tend to shake up people from money also being referred to as thugs this transfer of thug from hindi to thug in english was pioneered by a book queen victoria herself funded In the late 1830s Queen Victoria was made aware of an upcoming book that revealed the gnarly and unimaginable side of a culture she well technically ruled right naturally she was intrigued to learn more about these practices her own subjects aka Indians engaged in and so she summoned her right hand man Friday and arranged for the proofs of the manuscript this book was titled confessions of a thug and so the word thug found its place in the english vocabulary questions remain though what was a thug well let me read to you all a letter written by john fryer in 1675 john fryer was a surgeon for the east india company who served on the court of aurangzeb the mughal emperor in one of his letters he describes a band of thieves brought in for execution an old man and his two sons The youngest was probably less than 14 years old. It endlessly fascinated Friar to see this group rather merry and cheerful going to the gallows to be hung all while actually humming a song on their way and smoking tobacco. In fact, the 14-year-old boy Friar recalls boasted that even though he was only 14, he had killed 15 men. Friar was told that these were a particular kind of bandits, not your everyday Joe. Friar explains these men used to lurk in dark pathways throwing a piece of cloth weighed at one end by a device around the neck of unsuspecting travelers passengers or even pilgrims in fact especially pilgrims pinning them down on the ground strangling them and looting their valuables they were called thugs that is exactly what a thug was but do not mistake a thug as just a maniacal killer These men were ardent worshippers of the Hindu goddess Kali and in fact many of their victims were killed as sacrifices. If you all remember Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, the late great Indian actor Amrish Puri is still known for his lines "Maro maro suroko chamdi nocho pilo khun" which literally translates from Hindi as "kill kill the pig, flay his skin, drink his blood." In this Hollywood blockbuster Amrish Puri played the role of Mola Ram and Mola Ram was none other than the leader of the thuggy cult serving as the main antagonist in this film but if you think it is something to be proud about that an indian was in one of the most famous hollywood films and what not a fun yet interesting bit of trivia is that unbeknownst to most of us Steven Spielberg the director of this film actually wanted to shoot this movie in india but the indian government at the time refused to let him indians at the time rebuked the script highlighting its historical inaccuracies as well as exaggerations of the role sacrifice played in early hinduism not only did indians not let steven spielberg shoot the movie in india the final movie was actually shot in sri lanka and that too was banned from being released in india since spielberg refused to change the script clearly 
thugs have a way of finding themselves in trouble. Wow, we took a movie really seriously. Yeah, I wonder if that's ever happened again <laughs> in know, India's I don't, recent I, I, history. I, I, mm, mm, don't know what you're talking <laughs> about. Um, but Ashwara, is it just me or do you feel like your knowledge about thugs is way lesser than how big a role thugs have actually played in our history? Yeah, I think before we started this segment on the podcast, I had no knowledge about thugs. I knew of one Fulan Devi and I had kind of heard her references in movies and TV shows growing up. But other than that, the fact that they constituted a big part of the country's geography, the fact that there was a historical significance there, the fact that a lot of movies were actually based on real Indian thugs, I had absolutely no idea. This is a learning experience. Exactly. The thug is a recurring theme in non-Indian media. And that is what surprises me. In the late 1980s, actually, Ismail Merchant made a film on a novel called The Deceivers, an account of an English officer called William Savage who infiltrated a band of thugs, which is a straight translation of thuggy, and nearly lost his sanity to the evil goddess Kali and on and on and on, right? But... This movie was, you know, the protagonist was Pierce Brosnan and it was played played along Saeed Jaffrey and also the late great Shashi Kapoor who smears himself with brown paint to go undercover and look like an Indian thug. That's so cool. You know what? I actually have a pretty interesting story about thugs myself. Many of you already know my family has roots in the great Indian city of Kanpur. In Kanpur, there is a world-famous sweet shop. And when I say world-famous, I mean world-famous. Made even more famous by the movie Bunty or Bubbly. And it is called Thaggu Ke Laddu. Laddus are a North Indian delicacy. So the name of this sweet shop literally translates to a thug's dessert. The third generation owners of this Kanpuria institution have actually honed their name. And the shop slogan is... Quote, Aisa koi saga nahi, jisko humne thaga nahi, unquote, which literally translates to there is no relative or person who we have not cheated. This catchy one-liner became so popular that it was even borrowed by renowned lyricist Gulzar for a song in the movie Bunty or Bubbly. And I love, love, love the laddus they served there. But there is a serious story underpinning this rather hysterical name. It's not just a marketing gimmick. The current owner's grandfather was a huge follower of Mahatma Gandhi and once he attended his speech in Delhi where Gandhiji remarked that sugar is quote white poison and it can lead to several deadly diseases but people were still consuming it and paying a lot of money for it. Thus they were being essentially tricked by the British. This put the grandfather in a dilemma because he wanted to avoid using sugar but there was no alternate to using sugar to make his laddus as sweet and savory as they were. Therefore, he decided to call them, as we know it today, Thaggu Ke Laddu to hint that the customers were being tricked and warned them about the side effects of consuming refined sugar. Over the years though, it became more of a joke but this is one of my favorite sit- stories from my ancestral city so I thought I'd share it. But enough about sweet things. Let's get back to murder, shall we? Yes, now, please. Now, you have somewhat of an idea about what the thuggy was and what he was capable of. This heinous cult is responsible for no less than 50,000 murders from the Brotherhood's existence to its demise, while British reports from the 19th century suggest an even crazier annual average of 40,000 deaths to the thuggy. Even more crazy is the entry from 1970s in the Guinness Book of World Records which places the death count at an 
eye-watering 2 million, that is 20 lakh. This, if such figures were to be believed, is meant that the average thuggy would have been responsible for anywhere between dozens to hundreds of deaths. Holy crap, this is like a cult of Ted Bundy's. Oh yeah, and even in a cult of Ted Bundy's, Thug Behram somehow stood out. I can't imagine how. So how exactly did Behram come to be known as this deadly a killer? You remember that book I just mentioned, Confessions of a Thug, that Queen Victoria herself funded? That had a character named Firangia. This character in the book happened to be a thug, and his fellow thuggies gave him that nickname because he had Caucasian features that resembled to the quote-unquote white man. A white man in Hindi is called Firangi, hence nicknamed Firangia. Do you know what this fictional character's actual name in the book was? None other than Saeed Amir Ali. This book was written based on true stories about Amir, and yes, Amir in real life, the man who befriended Behram, was called Firangia because of his fair complexion and facial features. It was Firangia who awakened in Behram his wild side, introducing him to various ringleaders, pimps, and other unsavory but feared and powerful figures from the underbelly, from the dark world of society. Firangia had already been inducted into the Brotherhood for a few years when he met the teenage Behram. But it wasn't until Behram reached adulthood that he learned what his closest companion truly did for a living. He was immediately intrigued by the Thuggy cult and its ways and Firangia was unable to deter his passion and unshakable interest in the Thuggy. Firangia finally agreed to serve as Behram's mentor, or as some sources called it, his lieutenant, in 1788. Firangia showed him the A to Z of being a thug. But as I said, Behram was extremely intelligent and proved to be an extraordinarily quick learner, and in less than a decade became a household name in the underworld. By the age of 25 or so, Behram was a well-trained thug. Even though he continued to work closely with Firangia, he had found an independence of his own. As the famous saying goes, behind every successful man, there is a woman. Well, if you call being the most successful murderer in history success, then yes, Behram was very successful and yes, he had a woman behind him. In later years, his partner was a pretty woman who worked as a prostitute by the name of Dolly. Dolly was the daughter of a British soldier and a woman from Gwalior. Together, the unlikely team targeted British Indian soldiers and wealthy locals. Dolly was the seductress of the pair for obvious reasons. Their strategy was to book sexual rendezvous with potential victims, and once the man was fully undressed, sometimes with their hands and legs tied to the bedposts, and more importantly when the victim was defenseless, Behram emerged from his hiding place and strangled the victim with his handkerchief. This handkerchief, in fact, this cloth was used to strangle and kill victims and was something commonplace across thuggies, like in the story I shared from Aurangzeb's court. But Behram in particular was infamous for popularizing a yellow handkerchief with a coin inside. We have uploaded a photo of a painting made during colonial India that depicted that seemingly meek weapon which was used in killing hundreds of people. 
Essentially, Behram used the coin placed inside the handkerchief almost like a lever and then clenched onto the two ends of the cloth and squeezed it around the victim's neck. The pair then raided the man's belongings, split the booty and stole into the night. Eat, sleep and repeat. The pair decided to part ways for good at the break of the 19th century for reasons we still don't know. But by then, the locals and even like-minded criminals had become so terrified of Behram that they could not speak his name without a tremble. Whenever Behram was rumoured to be in an area, locals and criminals alike shuttered their doors and windows and avoided highways and other routes he was known to frequent. By this time, he had also amassed wealth and, more importantly, a group of 50 savage thugs that he was the leader of. And so the seemingly invincible Behram and his minions stuttered about the village, raising hell whenever they fancied. His savagery and his intelligence inspired a recent Bollywood star-studded film with Amir Khan and Katrina Kaif called The Thugs of Hindustan. Amir Khan's character in this movie is a notorious thug eerily similar to Behram. And in fact, Amir Khan's name in this movie is Firangi, which is the same nickname Amir Ali had. Although the director refuses any direct connection, there is certainly some inspiration that has seeped into the movie. By this point, the local government was desperate for answers. The police departments had received tens of thousands of missing persons report. The pile-up beginning in 1790, around the time Firangia had become Behram's mentor, till the 1800s, this pile was just sky-high. Sifting through those many pages, let alone tackling the mountainous heaps of files on their desks, became physically impossible for the inequipped local administrative bodies. It was then that they sought British assistance. You see, initially, the East India Company was reluctant to get itself involved. And also, mind you, around this period, the East India Company started becoming more than just a trade partner and India was witnessing its transition from Mughal rule to British rule. The British did not believe that there was a cult of killers that was responsible for thousands of deaths. Their European brain simply couldn't wrap its head around that number. Nevertheless, they sent a small task force of five experienced English detectives to the villages to investigate. For weeks on end, they scoured suspected murder sites for clues, but found only dead ends. Since these were really small villages, word spread like wildfire. The detectives were warned by the villagers to keep away and leave the thugs alone. But reverse psychology is man's best friend, and this only fueled their determination. They prodded deeper and deeper, until one by one, all of the five vanished into thin air, never to be heard again, except one. One of the detectives was able to relay one last message to the then-Governor-General Francis Rawdon Hastings. The message was just one name. The name was Behram. Behram killed five senior British detectives? Or at least Behram's gang did and, well, they would just disappear. Their bodies were never recovered. That is insane to me. Okay, go on. Still unwilling to believe that a few criminals is the same as a cult, the British authorities dispatched another set of officers at once. But as the story goes, Ashwarya, they too would meet the same fates. All of them disappeared into thin air. 
Worse yet for the locals was that the gang was growing exponentially. Since there was no one to curtail their powers, it had reached a point now that even entire fleets of caravans were going missing at once. Although the evidence suggesting otherwise was damning, the British-run government initially waved away any claims that a secret society of handkerchief-flailing assassins was running amok in the Indian subcontinent. The reluctant colonial administration got involved purely because of sheer luck. It was only following the accidental discovery of a mass grave in 1810, 30 bodies dumped into a collection of wells between the rivers Ganga and Yamuna, that the company decided to step in. So for 20 years, this cult metastasized uncontrollably and now someone had to see their end. This responsibility fell on the shoulders of Captain William Sleeman. Sleeman is such an interesting character. I could write an entire episode on just him. But for now, you need to know, Captain William Sleeman was one of the officers hired to investigate the mysterious character of Behram. He had been among the first to appeal to his superiors about the existence of the cult of Thuggy, but he was met with derision and ridicule as most British didn't even believe thugs were a thing. He was so frustrated that Sleeman ended up requesting a transfer to the civil services and from then on he was allowed to conduct a proper campaign for his cause. Sleeman was eventually promoted to district magistrate in the 1820s and with his newfound powers, created an active division of Indian policemen hoping to expose the dreadful society of assassins once and for all. His men returned to these crime-filled areas repeatedly, analysing them with western tools and policing methods, all the while keeping an ear out and following through on reports of suspicious figures. It was no longer five investigators stumbling through unknown villages. Through all the data collected, they were able to forecast the locations of future attack sites where officers in plain clothes lay ready in wait. When the moment arrived, they leapt out from the sidelines and ambushed the gang. The perpetrators were then promptly hauled in for questioning and tortured until they blurted out the details of the next planned attack. The biggest move by the British to quell the Thuggy was in 1830 when British Governor-General William Bentick, on behalf of the East India Company, founded the Thuggy and Dacoity Department, a police body that aimed to suppress the Thuggy and put an end to the outbreak of banditry in general. In fact, it is the same Thuggy and Dacoity Department that in the 1900s went on to become CID. None other than Sleeman was elected as its first superintendent. With the villagers' initially inexplicable refusal to speak out against these murderous thugs, the department was forced to do their own research about them. Officers rummaged through book after book in the library, much like what I had to do to research this case, and trekked far and wide to consult with experts. At last, all their endeavours paid off for they learned enough about the cult to formulate a new plan. Not only were the thugs forbidden from sacrificing women, children and priests, Europeans are also said to have been off-limits, meaning that most thugs would be reluctant to attack the British and even defend themselves against the British officers. Aran, this is all very fascinating, but I've been wondering this for about 30 minutes now. How is all of this related to Mowgli? 
As fate may have it, Ashwarya, in 1830, when Sleeman was working in the Thuggy and Dacoity department, a report came from Sioni, a city close by, that under mysterious conditions, some villagers have disappeared. Sir William Henry set up a committee under the supervision of British officer John Moore to investigate the matter. The team went to the site, collected information from local villagers, and from there they get the information of a jungle boy, a member of a wolf group who is active in that area. The team captured the boy from a nearby village literally when he was consuming raw flesh from a prey killed by wolves. At that time he was approximately 17 years old. The shock team moved this feral kid as these kids who grow in the wild are called nowadays and this feral kid was moved to Jabalpur. Jabalpur is not only the birth town of Behram but also during that time Jabalpur was headquarter of the anti-thug department. Here Sleeman saw this feral kid first and instructed to train that jungle boy to adopt a more, you know, human-esque lifestyle. This boy lived in Jabalpur till Sleeman was there and when later Sleeman was transferred to Lucknow he took the boy along with him Since his capture the jungle boy faced great difficulty in adapting to normal civilization Ultimately and sadly enough after 6 years from capture at around the age of 23 he died In his lifetime Sleeman wrote many books one of which was Rambles and Recollections In this book you can find detailed passages about this jungle boy. Sir Rudyard Kipling wrote the Jungle Book in year 1894 after the death of Sleeman and since Kipling himself went through Sleeman's book Rambles and Recollections he was inspired to write about the jungle boy. And the jungle boy was none other than Mowgli. How is that for a side track story Ashwarya? That is an incredible <laughs> tiny little story in the middle of this big story but it's so sad that Mowgli actually ended up being treated like an animal and not like a human being he was captured by someone else and taken around by this person poor Mowgli he lived a sad life Mowgli Bairam handkerchiefs i at this point i don't even know what i'm talking about <laughs> now the british knew exactly what they were dealing with but there was still one missing link a mole an insider the lucky thing for the british was that the thugs were more happy to cooperate the thugs were snitches actually but not because they were scared of the british but because they were scared of goddess kali many believe their arrest was a sign of kali's discontent with them and not wanting to provoke the goddess any further the thugs fessed up without much provocation But Sleeman's first real step towards capturing Bairam was made in December of 1830 when none other than Firangia was arrested. Unlike most of his thuggy brothers, Firangia actually did not snitch at first. Initially he danced around the investigators' questions for the first few weeks even when they said they will revoke his death penalty. But two facts made him cave to the British. One was that he was offered complete freedom in exchange of his testimony and secondly the british arrested his brother who was eventually executed so to prove to the british that his testimony was true amir aka firangia took sleeman to a city called saloda and pointed to the ground on which sleeman was standing one pandit and six attendants he proclaimed as he pointed towards the ground under sleeman's feet A havaldar and four sepoys he pointed under the horse carriages 
Then he pointed towards Sleeman's wife who was asleep and said that the ground on which Mrs. Sleeman is sleeping has four dead Brahmins and one woman buried. All were dug up and indeed the corpses were revealed. Bahram's end was orchestrated by his own mentor, by his own friend. It was Firangia who pointed Sleeman in Bahram's direction. But it would take years before he landed the evasive Jamedar. The 75-year-old thug Behram, once a bubbly young kid, was caught literally with his pants down while probably using the toilet. Helpless and hopeless, he eventually confessed to a personal kill count of a mind-boggling 931 and claimed to have witnessed another 956 murders. That said, most historians believe the real number is closer to 120 or 125. Whether or not there is any merit to Behram's claims of killing 931, that was the end of history's most prolific serial killer. For his crimes, Behram received the news in 1839 and along with his gang members was hung on a tree in Jabalpur that still stands to date. Perhaps in his final moments, Behram experienced what his victims did. Perhaps he heaved his final breaths as he was strangled by a rope around his neck, much like his victims.